such epic music. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, well, good morning. I, again, I'm Scott Weatherford. If you got here late, it's great to see you guys on this August day. I, I just got to tell you a few things that just kind of get us rolling. Uh, first of all, Tara and I just got back from Alabama yesterday with a banjo on our knee. <laughs> we just got back yesterday where we filmed, I filmed 15 small group videos for you guys for next fall. So we did the next series is uh, First Life, and that's a seven-week series, starts September 10th. And we're going to end that with a party, y'all. On the 22nd of October, we have a party with a purpose, so you just mark your calendars. If you don't live here, this is better than, is it called market days? <laughs> it's better than market days, okay? There will be barbecue, and it will be good. So that'll be on the 22nd of October. Then we start a series called Wimberly Strong. Now, this has been cool. Uh, since Tara and I got here, we learned about the flood. We, were, we learned about the miracles that happened during the flood. So here's our plan. We're going to take your flag about courage, strength, and hope plus vision. And I'm going to teach four weeks on what does it mean to live Wimberly strong. And I think it's going to be a, a, a game changer. Now, I've, I've already filmed all these small groups that go with that, complimentary to go with that. Now, get this. The longest one of this small group series is four and a half minutes. Did you know I could say anything in four and a half minutes? It is a miracle of God. And so this is designed for you to have a group experience any place, whether it's uh, at a coffee shop, a restaurant, in your home, on this campus. We made this curriculum accessible on your phone, on your smart device, so you, anytime, any place, you can have a group and lead into a discussion. That sound pretty good? Because we build lives that honor God, and the one way we build lives is being connected so that we can become more like Christ. So that's what we're doing. So, and the second exciting thing is that... Uh, we have booked the Israel trip. Some of y'all been whining and crying. When are you going to take us to Israel? So on, on April 23rd through May the 2nd, we have, are taking the Wimberley Adventure to the Holy Land. The Holy Land will not be the same after it gets a dose of Wimberley, right? So we're going there. It might even be more holy. Uh, someone told me that uh, in the Holy Land, a, a barbecue is called the Holy Grill. But anyway... Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Um, so that's coming up. If you want more details, you can see my lovely wife. She's in charge of this, and she's over there. If you look over there, you say, who is so pretty she shouldn't be married to Scott? That's Tara, and she's right there. That's, I heard someone say, that's right. I appreciate that very much. Okay, so that's the two kind of exciting things uh, that I wanted to tell you about. Now, we're going to jump back into this series called The Pursuit. Now, some of you haven't been with us all this summer, and this is a long series, like 14 weeks. Where we've been tracking King David and his mining man. And in fact, you saw the, the video that kind of leads us into it. We call it a bumper video, kind of bumps me up here into it. That I, as I wrote that description that went with that, that kind of epic music, that narrative, just what if we lived this way? What if we lived in such a way where nothing was impossible, everything was for the glory of God, that our lives were so engaged, our heart were so enthralled, that everything was possible and nothing was impossible? What if we live that way? So over the last several weeks, we've been doing that. In fact, this series comes to conclusion the last Sunday in September. So you can, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, the first Sunday in September, right at the end of August. So you look forward to tracking with us. If you don't live here, you can join us online. You can pick us up live on Facebook Live, or you can uh, go into the archive on our, our website. Plus, there's other small group curriculum that go with this. So it's beyond the sermon. So it's extra stuff. As the Cajuns call it, it's lanyap. 
And so you can track along. I, I see Jeremiah over here. Jeremiah, thanks for leading today. Jeremiah filled in for us today for Jonathan. So Jeremiah, great job. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to give you a, a preacher line. Go ahead and take out your take the weekend with you, your notes. So you might want to jot some things down there. Plus there's scriptures uh, that help you all week as you read. I hope you're engaged in the 99 days of prayer. We're on day 23. If you don't know what that is, you can pick up a booklet and jump in with us. You know, sometimes you hear stuff and you wonder it's just preacher talk, right? When my daughter was eight, we were at this church and it's, I wasn't preaching. Some other guy was preaching. And she leaned over to me and said, Daddy, is he telling the truth or is that just preacher talk? <laughs> You've been there. You've probably been there since I've been talking. That's yeah, preacher talk right there. But here's a statement I would give you that might be preacher talk. If you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. You ever heard that? If you don't stand for anything, you fall for everything. And that, you know, first time I heard it, I kind of rolled my eyes and went, whatever. But literally, the more I analyze that, the more I think about it, the more truth there is for that. There has to be something in my life that I stand for. I take a stand. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how if we're not grounded with God, we're blown about by every wind of doctrine. Everything that kind of comes along shifts our thinking, it shifts our life. And you probably know people like that. If you don't know somebody like that, it's probably you. That you just, you're just unstable in your thinking and you're, you go back and forth or you're ruled by your emotions or you don't really stand for anything. You just kind of go with the flow. And if you go with the flow, you'll end up downriver at a place you don't want to be. Can you take a stand? And as I thought about it, I said, okay, what are the convictions that I have that are not just convictions of my mouth, but become actions of my hands. You know, I say I believe this, and I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, but how is that displayed in my life? If I believe in generosity, am I more generous? If I believe in rescuing people, am I more of a risk taker? If I believe in uh, Christ is the hope of the world, am I verbal with that and displaying the goodness with my hands that usher people into the kingdom of God? What am I doing with my life that's matching my convictions, or is it just palitudes and talk, or is it truth? What do I stand for? Now, reading through the pages of Scripture, I found a lot of people who took some pretty radical stands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four, three Hebrew children in the land of Babylonia. And the Babylonian king, he builds a statue to himself, and he said, bow down and worship that or I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace, those three guys say, no, we're not going to do it. Made the king so mad, he heated up the furnace seven times hotter than normal. In fact, the guys heating up the fire died in the intensity of the heat. They said, we're still not going to worship. You can throw us in the fire. Our God's able to save us, and if he does not, we still not, will not bow down and worship. Of course, the historical account these boys were thrown into the fire, and the king looked in, he saw forth like unto the Son of God. And when he pulled them out of the fire, not a hair on their head was singed, their clothes were not burned, they didn't even smell like smoke. You can't barbecue in the backyard without smelling like smoke, y'all. And this is the goodness of God. Esther, who's mentioned as one of the four most beautiful women in the Bible. That's obviously before some of you ladies came along. You're welcome. <laughs> Esther mentioned is one of those beautiful women in the Bible. She was placed in the kingdom of Babylonian, Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom in order to save the Jewish people from genocide by the hands of evil Mordecai. 
uh, excuse me, evil Haman. Mordecai was her uncle. And Mordecai said to Esther, perhaps God brought you here for such a time as this. You see, her convictions caused her, her to stand. And she stood. I have a, a sermon on Esther. Sometime I'm going to preach that. And, and we try to romanticize that in, in, in our world today. But basically, Esther was a sex slave held by a perverted king. But in spite of her circumstances, she was used greatly by God. Folks, it is not your circumstances that define you. It's your God who defines you. And then there's, the, of course, the, the disciples, all of them. Died a martyr's death except for John. John didn't die martyr's death. He was thrown on the Isle of Patmos where he had his revelation. He wrote John's revelation. It's the book of Revelation. He also wrote his other gospels. But John, the Fox's book of martyrs, it's actually a historical documentation of people that was martyred for the cause of Christ compiled by a man named Fox. Fox's book of martyrs says that John, the apostle, was boiled in oil and survived and then was thrown on the Isle of Patmos. Now, theologically, that starts explaining some of Revelation to me. Boy, it was cooked before he wrote that stuff, you know. I'm saying he was lit up. No, no just kidding. That's just a joke. E- email Wyatt at fbcwimberly.com. Now, these men and women stood for God. They stood for Jesus. They had something they stood for, and their convictions manifest their behaviors of their life. Well, in writing this talk, I I got to spend some time in the 14 and 1500s. A few years ago, Tara and I went to Europe for 14 days, and we toured the Reformation. We went to Prague, where John Huss was pastor. Johann Huss, Jonathan Huss, a bohemian there in Prague. He had the audacity to translate the Bible into the Bohemian language. He was called up in front of a council who found him guilty of heresy and burned him at the stake for translating the Bible into the native language. Legend says as Huss was going to the the pyre to be burned alive, he said, today we'll light a flame that eternity will not extinguish. Wow. Wow. Traveling on up into, into the parts of Germany, we went to a place called Herrenhut, where there was a, a, a guy um, who started a movement called the Moravian Movement. And the Moravians were so caught up in, in sharing the gospel, they would sell themselves into slavery in order to tell slaves about Jesus. They would sequester themselves in lepers' colonies in order to tell lepers about Jesus. Hmm. On up to a little town called Wittenberg, where there was a priest there. He was the priest of the city church. And he was studying the book of Romans, and he came overwhelmingly convicted that it's by faith that we're saved, by grace, by faith, not by works, not by indulgences, not by doing things that make us right with God, but God who's made us right with himself through Christ. And he stood against the church of his day and he nailed the edicts to the Wittenberg door. 92 of them. Or 95, I never remember. One of those, bunch. He nailed them to the door. And that unleashed a firestorm against him. 
When he was called again, like Johann Huss, Jonathan Huss, was called to what they call a diet. A diet. It looks like diet. It's not something you eat, but it's someplace where somebody's going to get burnt. And they called him in front of the diet of worms. Worms. And he knew that 100 years before him, Johann Huss was, was called to the same thing and died a martyr's death. Martin Luther, that reformer, knew he would probably die. I found his speech. This is what he said. Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of Scripture by clear reason, I am bound by Scripture I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything I have said, since it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I could do no other. May God help me. Amen. Here I stand. I could do no other. There in, in Worms, been there. It's a plaque on the ground. It used to be a great cathedral that was destroyed during World War II. There's a plaque on the ground where Luther made that stand. Of course, he entered into the, the Great Reformation for which Protestantism rose up out of. Now, as Baptists, we don't have our roots firmly in the Reformation, even though we're influenced by the Reformation. We have our roots in what's called the Anti-Baptist Movement, A&A Baptists. That was a group of people who believed Scripture was authority and that we were baptized after we trusted Christ, not as infants, as a symbol of pre-trusting. We have our roots there, but we are greatly influenced by Calvin, by Luther, by Melecton, by Zwingli, by Roger Williams, uh, by others. But this great stance launched a movement. You see, his conviction produced a behavior that launched a movement. Why did he do that? Who stood with him? You know, in Martin Luther's life, he had a wife, Katerina, who was a, a nun, and he married a nun. A priest married a nun. None too uncommon. <laughs> and um, she held him up. Luther was crazy as an outhouse rat, y'all. That's crazy. But she held him up. He had a, he had a best buddy who lived there also in, in Wittenberg named Melecton, who was the, really the brilliance behind Luther. Luther wrote tremendous articles and tremendous manifestos. In fact, there was something that happened right before Luther that launched Luther, and that was the invention of the printing press. Their convictions produced a movement. And here I stand, I can do no other. And in the pursuit, I want a life like that. Don't you? I want to live not for my convenience or for my comfort, for a great cause for King Jesus. Don't you? It's five of you. That's encouraging. In 2 Samuel verse chapter 23, there's a list of David's mighty men. And David had some bad hombres he had hooked up with him. These guys were incredible warriors. And today, we're going to take a look at these guys, and we're going to see them standing with King David, standing against all odds, standing for, for the Lord God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And I think their actions will inspire us to stand as well. 
and we could walk out of these doors being changed people for we could stand, here I stand, I can do no other, may God help me because I want to stand for something because I don't want to fall for anything. I want to live all for Jesus. So um, let's go. You ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you'll speak through me and that you'll customize the words I say for the hearers, for their heart. And through the power of you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you have freedom to move among us and bring conviction and courage and hope and life and peace. And I thank you for who you are and how you move. And I pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen. Amen. The great theologian John Wayne said this, courage is fear that has said his prayers. So today, let's take a look at this courage. So I'm going to read for you uh, out of 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me, or it's going to be projected on the screen. You can just follow along. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Joshua being the Hickmanite, who was the leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. What? That's crazy. Next in rank was, of the three was Eleazar, Eleazar, the son of Dudah. Dudah, Dudah. A descendant of Ahoah. It's like Noah, but with an A. Once Eleazar and David stood together, once Eleazar and David, once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. They're standing by themselves. Everybody else has run off. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. Another translation said it this way, that his hand was frozen to his sword. Have you ever gripped something so tight for so long you couldn't pry your hand loose from it? This is where Eleazar was. And the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Next was Shemah, the son of Agi from Hehar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field of lentils. The Israelite army fled. But Shammai held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, when you read this in historical context, you said, okay, the writer, the writer of history is showing that David had some great, mighty men. But I want to say this to you because you need to know this. Scripture speaks to us beyond just the historical context. It speaks to us to inspire us today. And it speaks to us to look at a deeper issue here. What was going on in these guys' hearts and lives that caused them to be such great heroes? Was it their training? Was it their culture? What was going on in their their thoughts and their minds? Why did these guys stand against all the odds? What was going on in them? Of course, you know, I'm an analyzer, and I want to pull back and analyze it. Here's some things that I want to present to you to consider. First of all, they knew that they existed solely for God's glory. They knew that their lives were not about their convenience and their comfort. They didn't live for their own pleasure. They lived for God's glory. And my friend, you are not created here to take up space and use up resources and die and we try to make up good things to say about you. 
You're created to live a dangerous, full-bodied life all for Jesus. All of you, even you old folks like me, to live all for Jesus. These guys knew that God was the God of Israel and the God of their lives, and they were defending the name of God. Now, I get this. The ancients believed that gods were territorial. Israel had their God, and he was Jehovah, and he was the God of their land. And, they, and then the Canaanites had their God, and the, the Amorites had their God, and the, the Philistines had their God, and, and others had their God. The Egyptians had their gods. In fact, if you look at the plagues that Moses brought down on Egypt, it was exactly taunting the gods of Egypt, showing that Jehovah was the God of everything. It wasn't some random thing that Moses came up with. It was the intentional act of God to put the Egyptian God in their place. As if God was an NBA player who was going to dunk on the Egyptian gods. Hmm. I could draw a football analogy, but it's unsafe to do so in this climate. <laughs> but they knew that God was the God of everything. And that when when God defeated the armies, he brought the glory to himself. Uh, just a little more fact of history. When Joshua fought the battle for the Holy Land, they only lost one battle. They lost 30-something men in that battle. They lost no other battles and no other men in the entire conquest of the Holy Land because God fought for them. Wow. You read in, in Scripture in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and you read about the mighty movement of God, and you'll see that God is always the God who is our defender. He is our victor. Don't fight your battles, let God fight your battles. You got crazy in-laws? Don't say anything right now. You got crazy in-laws? Let God fight your battles. If your crazy in-laws are in this room, really don't say nothing today, okay? <laughs> Let God fight your battles. They knew, these guys knew that nothing was impossible for those who trusted in the Lord. That holy boldness. A boldness that took away their fear. The other night while we were in Alabama, we were back with our small group. We are having dinner and I asked two questions. I said, so tell me, Where's your favorite place in all the world to go? In fact, Wednesday night we did a training here and I asked that question and everybody answered. I said, my favorite place in all the world is any place where Tara is. And everybody got a little nauseous, okay? <laughs> and, and then I asked this question. I said, when have you been most afraid? Tara told a story I never knew about her, about when she was a little girl, she almost drowned. I never, I never knew that. I almost drowned once too in California and... Um, the church finally let me up, and I swam away. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, but, you know, I've been to some really dangerous places. I pastored, I, I served as a pastor at an inner city church in New Orleans where I was regularly uh, kind of talking with and, and interfacing with guys that were pretty much drug dealers and gangs and thugs, and I never was scared. I never was scared. I've been to places like Kinshasa, Democratic Republic of Congo, 
landing in, in there. Well, I took Tara with me on that trip. We landed in Kinshasa. It looked like something from an apocalyptic movie. People in a DRC live on less than a dollar a day. It's one of the poorest nations of the world. It, it's horrible. Bribery. You cannot make a right turn on the road without bribing the cop who's directing traffic. Unbelievable corruption. But God's moving in his church in an unbelievable way. It was not safe. We landed there, spent the night in Kinshasa, then drove to an African airport, quote-unquote, which is basically a red dirt runway, on a plane that was last driven by the Wright brothers. <laughs> it flew down the spine of the Congo River with the goats and chickens in the plane. And I told Tara when we got there, I said, well, baby, it's been fun. This is where it ends. <laughs> and I wasn't scared. I've been to the mountains of Kazakhstan and sat in a Stalin-type apartment training pastors there. It was illegal to do so, and I wasn't scared. I've been to Cambodia and been face-to-face with human traffickers, and I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared. There's something wrong with me. We're having a business meeting at the end of this month to talk about bylaws, and I'm a little scared. <laughs> no. Holy boldness. Holy boldness. Fear not, for the Lord is here. There are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for each day. These guys had a holy boldness. They weren't scared. What are you scared of? Some of you are scared about making it to the end of the month. And I know my God shall supply all of our, my needs according to his riches and glory. Some of you are scared about whatever. God's got it. We're supposed to live in holy boldness. And these guys demonstrated a holy boldness by anything that came against it. They stood. And it's amazing how their lives were different. They knew that defeat was not an option. So they stood. And I'm afraid, folks, we've gotten soft. We've gotten fearful. And we're worried about our preference. Oh, did they sing the new hell song song this week? Oh, I want to get close to Jesus. Oh. Instead of living in boldness. What did these guys stand for? What do we stand for? These guys stood with their king and for their king. They came to David and said, David, we are yours, for we see the purposes of God in your life. And there's nothing greater than standing with a God-honoring leader. This is what it says in the book of Hebrews. Listen to this. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. I have an accountability to God to watch over your soul. That's scary. They're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And that's Hebrews 13, 17. Did you guys know that was in there? That one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and I'm going to give an account for First Baptist Wimberley. Y'all, you pick it up. <laughs> yeah, I got a shirt on the front row there. Somebody brought me today. He says, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. But it was seriously, there's nothing like standing with, with somebody who's standing with God. Stand with a leader. They stood for everything God stood for. 
They saw a kingdom who was ruled by, by God and his great love. But what do we stand for as a church? What do we stand for individually? Do we stand for God's glory? Do we pray that God does something in us and for us and through us that only he can get the glory for? That we, we look at Wimberley and we go, God, God's moving there. It ain't about a personality or a program or a structure or a place, but it's about God who moves. Do we stand for God's glory and giving all the glory back to God? Do we stand for freedom? Of course, here in America, say, yeah, we stand for freedom. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. But freedom from sin? We shackle by the weight of our sin. Instead of coming to Christ in repentance, we live under the burden of the unrepentant yet forgiven. Hmm. Freedom from legalism. One of the reasons we're changing our bylaws because we, in our Constitution statement, it says we ain't going to drink or buy from people who do drink, people who sell whiskey, people who sell alcohol. We ain't going to buy from them stores. In other words, you can't shop at H-E-B anymore or buy grocery anywhere or gasoline. Forget it. Get your goat cart back out. Because we were known historically as a people of the don'ts. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, don't go with women who do. <laughs> but can we be known for grace, and love, and hope, strength, and courage? Do we stand for freedom from being judgmental? had a conversation with a person this week. She found out I was a pastor, and she said, well, pastor, I said, oh, you come hang out with us. We move up here. You come hang out with us. Come hang out with me and Miss Terry. She goes, my friends would just like have a fit if I knew I was hanging out with a preacher. I said, well, I ain't enough preacher to hurt anything. <laughs> One person got that. That's good, yeah. <laughs> and then she says, pastor, I'm probably a lost cause. And you know what that did to me? That's like throwing a bone out to a dog. <laughs> I said, sister, you ain't no lost cause. You're a trophy of grace. Let's go. Let's go. Because when you're free from judgmentalism, everybody's welcome. Could we be the church of whosoever will may come? Come, all who are thirsty. And find water. Come find bread. Bread that did not cost you anything, it says in Isaiah. And eat. Jesus said, come unto me, you are weary and heavy laden. Now you'll find rest for your soul. If anyone comes to me, I will not cast them out, Jesus said. Standing against legalism. Can we stand for some things like dignity of human beings, dignity of life? that ending the life of an unborn child is reprehensible, that life begins at the moment of conception, not at the convenience or the choice of others. Can we stand against slavery? You say, well, Scott, man, that's an old issue. That was settled in the 1800s. Really? 
There's 27 million slaves in the world today. There's more slavery in the world today than it was when slavery was abolished in the 1800s. There were some courageous guys like William Wilberforce and John Newton and others who eradicated slavery in the British Empire, but slavery today is alive and well, and we've seen it, and you've seen it. You saw it just recently, but you didn't see it. When those immigrants died in that locked-up trailer in San Antonio, they were slaves. They were not free. They were not coming here for immigration, for freedom. They were coming here to be used as slaves and the pawn of bellicose people who are leveraging human lives and dignity for profit, and it's time for that to end. Human dignity. On less than 1% of the women caught in the sex trade today are there by choice. The rest are enslaved. And most of these women and children are marginalized and broken. It's time for it to stop. And guys, we're the problem. Because when the demand dies, because Jesus is the king of our hearts, and the wives, our wives, and our children are the apple of our eyes, the sex trade ends. Supply and demand. Sorry, guys. We stand against and stand for biblical purity. We'll be known as people of the book. We stand for unity in the body of believers, that this church will not be divided, that we will not be the church of parking lot gossip, but we will be the church of gatherings for transparency and truth. We'll stand together. We'll stand with each other. I am so honored to be a part of this, this community called Wimberley that when you were devastated by the flood, your convictions became your actions. But it doesn't end with one catastrophic event. It continues with a group of people that says, not here, not now, not ever. Well, you say that. Well, when we do that, Wimberley get crowded. Yes, it will. Because people need a place like this and a people like us who are committed to King Jesus for him. We stand for a revival, to see people renewed and hopes come alive. We stand for heaven being crowded and hell being unacceptable. We stand for King Jesus. You see, we are in a raging battle for the hearts, souls, and lives of men and women, boys and girls. It will require our best efforts, our brightest minds, our whole lives. We are called by God to depopulate hell. And it doesn't just stay encapsulated here. In September, pastors from all over are going to gather on this campus for encouragement and coaching. We will become that resourcing and teaching church that brings hope to Texas. For indeed, this city called Wimberley, called Wood Creek, is the diamond in the heart of the hill country of the great state of Texas. All for Jesus. How did these guys stand? They stood in the power of God. They stood with the provision of God. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You know what the strategies of the devil are? Doubt and discouragement, division and gossip, slander and temptation, 
That's the strategy. He hadn't changed his stuff. He is not creative, but he is persistent. And we could stand. See, God provides the courage. God provides the conviction. The conviction for these guys to stand that day was made before the battle began. And today, we can make decisions that shape our destinies. Today. We stand together because God provides the community that we stand together heart and soul. They stood in the protection of God for they knew God controlled their destinies. You will not die but live to declare what God has done. When I was pastoring the church in Alabama where I just returned, one of the guys on our governance board was a two-star general. In fact, he was over the air war uh, in Syria. He still is. I think he just got a new assignment. But he said this. He said, Scott, you know when you're in battle, you don't fight for your country, you fight for your brother. That's what you do. Now, the greater vision is country, but you fight for your brother. He said, and warriors, when you're in battle, there's no daylight. We're in unity so tight, there's no daylight. So coming here to be a part of this great church, to be a, a part of this great staff team with Wyatt, Dan, and Melinda, and, and others, uh, name them all, Jonathan and, and Scott Tidwell and the girls, all of them, we made a pledge to each other, no daylight. No daylight. Because we know a healthy staff will lead a healthy church, and a healthy church will change the world. The parachurch won't do it, or it would have. The local church will do it because we have the mandate, the authority, and the power, and the conviction, and the propulsion of God. You see, I want to live a life of courage and conviction. I want to live to make Jesus famous. I don't want to just have palitudes that come out of my mouth. I want actions that propel my hands and move my feet. I want to live all for Jesus, don't you? Don't you? So here I stand. I could do no other. May God help me. Amen.